Again, our prayers that the Lord would uh, actually uh, give us an understanding of his holy and inspired word. Our text then is that uh, 14th verse of uh, Hebrews 12, Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. As you'll be familiar, in chapters 11 and 12 uh, of Hebrews, in light of the persecution, trials and struggles that were being experienced by the Hebrew Christians, the writer to the Hebrews calls upon them to live by faith and in the promises of God. In other words, he calls them to look to Jesus Christ by faith and to draw strength and encouragement from him in order that they might run the race uh, that was set before them. And to that end, he urges his readers to consider the Old Testament saints who had endured much, but who by faith had run the race that had been set before them. That's what he's doing in chapter 11, where he sets forth all of those different Old Testament saints and says that by faith they did what they did. Uh, what we find then here is that in chapter 12, uh, the writer of the Hebrews then goes on to urge his readers to reflect upon the fact that their trials and struggles were not accidental. Their trials and struggles were not haphazard or unplanned, but in fact they were the manifestation of, in many instances, the chastening hand of a loving Heavenly Father who is actually pursuing their highest and everlasting spiritual good. And as the writer to the Hebrews reveals, the purpose of their Heavenly Father in sending trials and struggles into their lives was that they actually might be partakers of his holiness. Their Heavenly Father, you see, he tells them, uh, disciplined them. He disciplined them and the disciplining of them yielded, as the writer of the Hebrews describes it, the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which were actually exercised or trained thereby. Uh, and then, so in light of these spiritual and eternal considerations, the writer of the Hebrews then goes on to encourage his readers to strengthen the hands that had actually drooped down and the knees that had become weak and feeble due to the struggles and difficulties that they had encountered. Those struggles and difficulties were undoubtedly real, but they had a divine purpose, namely their sanctification and their ultimate place in glory. Now, in close logical connection, uh, we find then follow the words of our text in verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. The connection between verses 1 through 13 of Hebrews 14 and our text is perhaps not immediately apparent. Uh, what we find is that one moment the writer to the Hebrews is speaking about the chastisement or the discipline of the Lord, and the next he is exhorting his readers to follow peace with all men and holiness. And the question that arises is uh, whether in verse 14 the writer to the Hebrews is actually introducing us to a completely new subject, or is there a connection between verse 14 and the uh, verses that precede it? Well, the answer is that there is 
a connection, a very close connection, in fact, uh, between verse 14 and the verses that preceded. Uh, what is that connection? It's this. The chastening hand of the Lord often takes the form of trials and of struggles and it results often even in hurt and pain. And the effect of those trials and struggles and the consequential hurt and pain can, even in the child of God, often lead to anger and resentment. Uh, even as believers, we actually can come to resent the trials and suffering, even though those trials and suffering actually are given and sent to us for our spiritual and eternal good. There are times when even those trials and sufferings uh, cause us, because of the hurt and pain that we experience as a result of them, uh, to have an attitude that resents them and indeed would even seek to... uh, respond in kind uh, to those who might be the actual instruments that God uses to bring about that discipline in our lives. But here's the key to understanding our text and to what precedes it. Uh, To lash out and to respond in kind uh, to those who are the instruments of God, God's trials and tribulations, would actually indicate that we have failed to appreciate that our trials and sufferings have actually been sent by our Heavenly Father. To respond in anger, to respond to our afflictions and suffering uh, with hostility, to respond in kind to the hurtful actions of others, Uh, fails actually to acknowledge what God is doing in and through our afflictions and suffering. And to respond with hostility, to respond in kind, to retaliate, uh, only actually serves to feed and satisfy our old man of sin and our remaining corruption. Because you see, the response of Uh, hostility, the response of uh, retaliation is actually the response of our old men of sin and it arises out of our remaining corruption. Such a response is not uh, due to the indwelling of the spirit of Jesus Christ in us. And so here in our text, The writer to the Hebrews exhorts his readers and he exhorts us uh, to embrace a different spirit when we are confronted by our afflictions and sufferings and when we're confronted by hurt and pain as a result of those afflictions and sufferings. What he calls us here is to embrace the spirit of the peacemaker. And as believers, as those in whom the spirit of Christ dwells, He reveals that the proper response to our afflictions and sufferings and the hurts and the pains that we uh, encounter as a result is not to arc up and to retaliate against those who may be the source of our afflictions and sufferings, but rather to follow peace with all men and holiness. This ought to be our response to the afflictions and sufferings that we as believers 
inevitably will experience in this life. So I was entitled the message this morning, Pursue Peace and Holiness. And divide the sermon out of these three headings, the believer's response, secondly, the essential calling, and then finally, the eternal implications. Follow peace with all men and holiness. The exhortations are short, the exhortations are sharp, and their implications to the Christian life are profound. Now, in order to grasp the significance of verse 14, it's perhaps helpful just to remind ourselves very briefly of the very trying circumstances in which those to whom this letter uh, to the Hebrews was actually written. Now, the Hebrew Christians were, of course, living in circumstances where their allegiance to Christianity had provoked sustained and fierce opposition from their fellow Jews. They were regarded, in fact, by their fellow Jews as renegades and apostates uh, to the faith to the faith of their fathers. And consequently, they were despised, denigrated and ostracised by their fellow Jews. Every effort uh, had been made, you see, by the Judaizers uh, to poison the minds of the Hebrew Christians and to have them return uh, to Judaism. But when those attacks and when those attempts to have them return to Judaism failed to achieve uh, the intended result, uh, the response of the Judaizers to these Jewish Christians became more intense and less subtle forms of persecution inevitably followed. And you see something of the reference to the nature of the trials and tribulations that these Hebrew Christians endured in passages such as Hebrews 10, 32 through 34. And there we read, but call to remembrance, the writer of the Hebrews says, but call to remembrance the former days in which ye, which rather after ye were illuminated or spiritually enlightened, ye endured what he describes there as a great fight of afflictions, a great fight of afflictions. afflictions. In other words, the Hebrew Christians endured a great struggle uh, that had brought uh, with it a great measure of personal suffering. And that suffering was heightened on account of their being publicly subjected to both reproaches and afflictions. That's what's also described there in Hebrews 10. The uh, Hebrew Christians, in other words, were openly denigrated for Christ's sake. Uh, they were belittled and marginalised on account of their faith their integrity was challenged. The contention was that they were ignorant men and women who lacked understanding. And the attacks upon them and their characters were designed to diminish them in the eyes of others. But that was not the full extent of the burden either that they endured. The Hebrew Christians were not merely exposed to verbal barbs and assaults, but they also suffered afflictions for the sake of Jesus Christ. In other words, they were physically abused on account of their faith. Uh, in many instances, not to the point of death, but they certainly endured physical uh, hurt and harm as a result of their faith in Jesus Christ. And that meant that they endured physical intimidation. Their possessions in many instances were seized. Uh, some, in fact, had been left destitute. And so not surprisingly, uh, both the verbal and the physical attacks upon these uh, Jewish uh, Christians had taken a toll, a personal toll on them. 
that they should experience such things would really come as no surprise. Uh, faithfulness to Jesus Christ inevitably attracts opposition. That was the case in the first century AD and it continues to be the case even today. Faithfulness to Jesus Christ will lead to persecution. Uh, we only need to recall what Paul said in, in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12 to have that confirmed where he says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you will live godly in Christ Jesus, you should expect to suffer persecution on account of your faith. That's the norm. It's to be expected. If you love Jesus Christ, if you endeavour to live in accordance with the word of God, if you will seek to regulate, regulate your life according to the word of God, if you will profess faith in Christ, then you will attract persecution. And the persecution at times will come even from those who are actually closest to us in life. And the Lord Jesus Christ reminds, of, reminds us of that in Matthew 10 and verse 34 through 36. Remember there he said, Think not that I am come to send peace on, on earth. I came not to send peace, but a, a sword, he says, for I came to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Brethren, every believer will suffer reproach and persecution. The Hebrew Christians were by no means unique in that, and I know they were not unique either in the trials and the tribulations and the suffering that they experienced. That is the lot of Christians in every age. Now, against the background of that sobering reality, the writer to the Hebrews says to the Hebrew Christians, and he says really throughout to us also this morning, follow peace, follow peace with all men. You don't have to think about that for very long to realise that that is a very challenging exhortation. Follow peace with all men. To follow peace means to earnestly pursue peace, to strive after peace. Or to put it another way, we are called here to earnestly pursue harmony and concord with others. Or to put it another way, we are to seek to avoid strife and conflict with others. What the writer of the Hebrews declares is that the appropriate response, the God-ordained response, the Christ-like response of the Christian when confronted with the reproaches and afflictions of men is to follow peace, to strive after peace, to seek harmony and concord, to avoid strife and tension. The enormity of this exhortation becomes evident when we appreciate that we are to earnestly strive after peace, note, with all men, all men, uh, not just with perhaps those that we like or have a regard for, not just with those that we might consider to be friends, not even just those who are perhaps of the same household of faith, in other words, not just with fellow Christians, but we are to follow peace with all men, Christians and non-Christians alike, even with those who afflict and persecute us, 
as the context here demands, we are to follow peace even with those who, notice, revile us. They say all manner of evil against us falsely for Jesus Christ's sake. In other words, we are to pursue peace with those who make our lives at times exceedingly difficult, who hurt us, who abuse us, who persecute us, who perhaps tell lies and falsehoods about us. We are to pursue peace even with such men and women. And brethren, you and I must not be indifferent uh, or half-hearted about this issue. Uh, We must not simply pay lip service uh, to this uh, calling. We are called to earnestly and wholeheartedly strive after peace with all men. Interestingly, the Greek word translated follow also actually means uh, literally to persecute. One can say that we are to persecute peace. And the word imports the idea of an intense, unwearied pursuit as seen when a persecutor pursues his target or victim. Just as a persecutor relentlessly pursues his target or victim, we as believers are to relentlessly pursue and seek after peace with all men. We are to engage in a genuine, earnest pursuit of peace with all men. And this implies that we will do all that lies within our power to secure that peace, even with those even with those uh, who revile us, who reject us, and who say all manner of evil against us falsely for Jesus Christ's sake. Now, it's furthermore also that we're not just to do this on one occasion. Uh, this is not, a, not an injunction or an exhortation to us that simply says, we'll try it once and see how you go. But this is a, an injunction that applies to us continuously. We must pursue peace with others time and time and time again, even when they reject our overtures of peace, even when they continue to reproach and to persecute and to afflict us, uh, even when they show no interest in uh, peace with us. What we need to do is we need to seek to set aside those things that... uh, Uh, destroy peace. In other words, what we need to do is we need to set aside those things that unnecessarily cause offence even to others. We should deal with with others in in a way that seeks to avoid the stirring up of their hatred and their dislike of us. We should seek to avoid antagonising them. We should set aside our own natural warlike spirit We are to respond to those who hurt and harm us in a manner that reflects that the Spirit of Christ actually dwells within us. The writer to the Hebrews does not assume that peace will always be achieved, however. His injunction to us is this, follow peace with all men. Uh, such is the vehemence and entrenched nature of the hatred and opposition that we as Christians may encounter. There may well be occasions, no matter how diligently we pursue peace, 
where peace will remain beyond reach. Uh, Paul confirms that in Romans 12 that we read this morning in verses 17 and 18, where he says, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, if it be possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. If it be possible. In those words, Paul acknowledges that it may not actually be possible to achieve peace with all men. Nonetheless, our calling remains to strive after peace. Our conduct, our behaviour, our speech must not be an impediment to the attainment of peace, but we are to genuinely and earnestly pursue after it. Now, when you actually sit back and perhaps think about that and analyse that, what the writer of the Hebrews says here to us is truly quite outstanding. Quite outstanding. In fact, one might say it's astounding. Uh, the difficulty of what is enjoined upon us uh, should not be underestimated. Just reflect for a moment as to what that would have meant for the Hebrew Christians and also reflect for a moment what it means for each one of us in the context of our own lives. It would have required the Hebrew Christians uh, to have actually pursued peace with those who are actually actively persecuting them from day to day. It would demand of them a setting aside of what was occurring to them on a daily basis and the hurt and the harm that they were suffering on a daily basis and to have pursued peace with their persecutors. It would have demanded of them a setting aside of their natural inclination to strike back, to retaliate and to respond in kind. To pursue peace with all men is not is not our natural response. I, I think it's true to say that's not the natural response of any of us. None of us uh, have that as our natural response. But it ought to be, indeed, it will be the response of the believer whose heart has been renewed by the Spirit of God you see, this response of pursuing peace with all men reflects what might be described as the temper of the gospel. To pursue peace with all men will be the response of the, that man or woman, uh, that boy or girl for that matter, uh, who has received the gift of faith and who actually lives out of that faith. It will be the response of that man or woman or that boy or girl who looks unto Jesus Christ as the author and the finisher of their faith, will be the response of that man or woman, that boy or girl, who runs the race that is set before them and who considers him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Brethren, it will be our response if we are the children of God. It will be our response if by God's grace we are running the race that is actually set before us. 
And then we ought to earnestly pursue peace. We ought to earnestly pursue peace with all men. We ought to pursue peace with all of those perhaps that we encounter in this life that uh, cause us consternation and trouble. Uh, perhaps with that troublesome work colleague, with that annoying classmate at school, with that member of the church that grates against us, uh, with our brother or sister even in the midst of the church who actually wrongs us, with our brother or sister who does and says foolish things about us, who perhaps even falsely accuses us, who in the words of our text reviles us and who say, says all manner of evil against us falsely for Jesus Christ's sake. And brethren, this is the counsel that you will give to others. This is the counsel that you as a husband or a wife will give to your spouse uh, when someone has annoyed them or done them wrong and when they're becoming uh, heated and uh, in fact inclined uh, to respond in a way uh, which would be sinful. When your spouse is contemplating revenge, uh, you advise and encourage them to follow peace with all men. It's the advice that you'll give to your children. It's the advice that you'll give to your fellow saints. But then was not this in essence what Jesus was actually saying in the Sermon on the Mount when in Matthew 5, in verses 38 and 39, he said this, You've heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, brother, notice that the writer of the Hebrews not only exhorts the Hebrew Christians to follow peace, but also holiness. Follow peace with all men and holiness. It's not enough that we strive after peace with all men, but we must earnestly also pursue after holiness. Uh, we are to pursue holiness with the same vigour and zeal that we apply to the pursuit of peace with all men. Holiness here refers to consecration to God, to purity of life. And so in theological terms, the reference is to our sanctification. As believers, we are to earnestly pursue after purity of life. We are to pursue after practical holiness. We strive to be more and more sanctified, more and more Christ-like in our lives. And we are to pursue spiritual growth and development so that we die more and more unto sin and live more and more unto righteousness. With the result that the dominion of sin a dominion that sin has over us by nature, is weakened and mortified or put to death. The new man of righteousness attaining unto greater and greater ascendancy in our lives so that we more and more mirror our Saviour in our conduct and indeed in our lives. 
Why does the writer to the Hebrews exhort believers to pursue both peace with all men and then link it immediately with the pursuit of holiness or sanctification? In what way is the pursuit of holiness actually connected with the peace uh, with the pursuit of peace with all men. How, how are the two things connected? It's along this line. Though we have been redeemed by Jesus Christ and though we have experienced a work of grace in our hearts, the truth is that every one of us actually struggles uh, to attain unto holiness of life. The reality is that though we are new creatures in Jesus Christ, we have only a small beginning of new obedience. And though we may earnestly strive after holiness, the truth is that we'll never attain unto holiness, true holiness, in this life. Apostle Paul reflects that truth in that well-known passage in Romans 7 and verse 24 when he says, O wretched man that I am. Uh, notice that not I was, but a wretched man that I am. And he goes on to say, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? This was the, this was the issue that Paul confronted. Uh, Romans 7 is written towards the very end of Paul's uh, life. And there he's still grappling with the difficulty of his remaining corruption. Uh, he and we will never be completely delivered from the body of this death in this life. There will always be a titanic struggle uh, that uh, we are engaged in uh, and that battle, that titanic struggle or battle is the, is the struggle that takes place between the old man of sin and the new man of righteousness. And that's a struggle that takes place in the uh, heart and minds of every believer. Uh, the, the believer, the, the child of God, uh, has within them uh, the new principle of life. That is the uh, principle of life uh, engendered by the indwelling of the Spirit of Christ. But that's not to say that within the uh, life of every child of God there's not also a measure of remaining corruption. That is that inclination uh, to to sin, and so really there is the what the uh, Paul in Ephesians describes the old man of sin and the new man of righteousness, and those two are engaged in a, in a, a titanic struggle in the life of every believer day by day. And the old man of sin uh, is actually continuing urge, is continually urging us. Uh, to accommodate and to make a place for him. Uh, Paul reveals that very clearly in, uh, in the book of Romans, that the old man of sin is, is urging us, uh, make a place for me, accommodate me, allow me a place in your life. And that's what the old man of sin is saying even to those of us in whom the uh, spirit of Christ actually dwells. And so when we are confronted, and here's the connection, so when we are confronted 
by reproach and affliction. When we're confronted uh, by uh, hurt and suffering and pain, the old man of sin, our remaining corruption, seizes upon those things. He seizes upon the hurts and the, uh, the pain and the wrongs and the suffering that we have uh, experienced. Whether those uh, hurts and pains or sufferings are actually perceived or real, and what does he do? What does the old man of sin do to us in the context of our lives where we experience hurt and suffering and pain? He urges us to respond in kind. He urges us to retaliate. And the old man of sin says to us, make war. Make war with that man or woman who hurt you or who has dealt unjustly or unfairly with you. Make war with that man or woman uh, who has hurt those that you love. Respond to them in kind. Cause them to suffer just as you have suffered. That's what the old man of sin continually says to us. Make place for me. And he urges us to do that uh, by actually responding in, in kind by making war. Now, brethren, this is the reason why we as believers uh, need to earnestly pursue holiness in connection with pursuing peace. You see, we need to manifest a different attitude uh, to the one urged upon us by the old man of sin. Except we earnestly pursue holiness, except we earnestly pursue consecration to God, except we earnestly pursue a life that reflects the work of God's grace in us, we will always be inclined to the spirit of war urged upon us by the old men of sin. And the result will be that we will never actually be able to, to follow peace with all men. If, if that old man of sin actually has his way with us, if he's able to influence us and if he's able to turn us uh, to that attitude of heart and mind that says, you've been hurt, uh, hurt others, retaliate, give them what they've given you. If that's the spirit that we exercise, then we will never be able to follow peace with all men. The reality is, will be that our natural inclination will always to be make war, to hurt those that have hurt us, to respond in kind. That's our natural response. That's our natural response. And except we strive after holiness, except we seek to live out of the life of Jesus Christ within us, we will never follow peace with all men. And so the writer to the Hebrews says to the Hebrew Christians, follow peace and then immediately continues, follow holiness. The two must go together. We must pursue the putting to death of the old men of sin in order that we may become more and more like our Saviour Jesus Christ. It's our growth in sanctification that enables us to pursue peace with all men. Without it, we'll never strive after peace with all men. We'll still be trapped in the bondage of the old man of sin. 
and we will never strive after peace with those that have hurt us. The response of the old man, of the natural man, uh, to reproach and affliction is always marked by hostility and warlike conduct. You see, our old man of sin loves war. He loves conflict. But as we, by God's grace, strive after holiness, uh, we deprive our old man of sin of his power and influence over us. Our sanctification, of course, is made possible uh, by the grace of God in Jesus Christ through the indwelling of his spirit. Our sanctification is a gift of God. Nonetheless, we need to strive after it. Yes, sanctification is the work of God in us, but we are to actively to pursue our sanctification. And as we strive after holiness, so we will be enabled more and more uh, to strive after peace with all men. It's then, brethren, the chastening hand of the Lord will have actually produced something truly remarkable in us. What will this look like in us? Well, it will look something, I think, like this. If, if it is that we will pursue after peace, if we will pursue after uh, holiness, uh, then we'll be those who uh, do not respond uh, to the hurt and the suffering and the pain that we've endured uh, in the way of the natural man. Uh, we will not be those who respond in kind, who will seek to hurt uh, those that have hurt us, that will uh, seek to pull down and to denigrate those that have perhaps done that to us. Uh, we will not respond to those who have hurt or maligned us in that way. And that doesn't mean that we won't speak the truth. Uh, we will speak the truth. Uh, we will deal with issues that uh, confront us, but we will deal with them in a godlike way. Uh, for example, yeah, we will speak the truth, but we will not carelessly speak the truth. Uh, our tongues will not be left unbridled, but we will speak the truth in love. Our speech, as Paul encourages us, in uh, Colossians will be speech that will always uh, be marked with grace, seasoned with salt. Uh, we will be those that keep our emotions in check. Uh, we will not simply give free reign uh, to uh, our emotions so that all our responses are simply uh, emotional, unchecked responses. And nor will we allow a root of bitterness to develop in our hearts and minds. Because as we do that, so that then becomes the, the uh, guiding uh, principle, as it were, in our lives. And a root of bitterness grows up within our hearts and minds. So it is that is then going to uh, 
be reflected in, in the things that we do and the things that we say and the way that we respond. We will be those that use the means of grace. Uh, we will be those who consistently and diligently seek the Lord in prayer. We will read the scriptures. Uh, we'll seek to understand the scriptures. We'll seek to meditate upon the scriptures. We'll seek to apply uh, those scriptures. Brethren, follow peace with all men and holiness. That's our calling. That's what we need uh, to do in the life of our church. The writer of the Hebrews highlights the fundamental importance uh, of these things and particularly the fundamental importance of the pursuit of holiness uh, when he adds at the end of verse 14, without which no man shall see the Lord. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. The reference there to without which no man shall see the Lord appears to pertain particularly to holiness. Without which, that is, without holiness, without sanctification of life, no man shall see the Lord. These injunctions, you see, carry with them eternal implications. Uh, it should be appreciated that the writer of the Hebrews is not suggesting that our holiness is in some way meritorious, such that our holiness is capable of meriting with God and securing us a place in glory. Nor is the writer of the Hebrews suggesting that our holiness is the ground of our justification. Uh, that is simply not true, uh, nor is, uh, is our holiness or our sanctification uh, the basis for our being right with God. Uh, the basis and ground of our justification, of course, is the uh, work of Jesus Christ. But be, be we ever so holy, Our holiness will never prove a sufficient basis or ground uh, for our justification or for our entrance into glory. Well then, what, what's the writer of the Hebrews uh, saying here? What he's doing is he's pointing out or pointing to the fundamental, unalterable truth that without holiness, without sanctification of life, Without the work of God's grace in our hearts, no man shall see the Lord. In other words, without a work of the life-giving, life-changing Spirit of God within us, none of us will ever attain unto heavenly glory. We, we need that work of grace in us. We need the indwelling of the Spirit of God within our hearts if ever we will have a place with the Lord in glory. Without a work of the life-giving, life-changing Spirit of God, none of us will ever have a place in glory. Furthermore, what the writer of the Hebrews is driving at is that when there is a work of God's grace in our hearts, it will actually be seen in our ongoing sanctification. 
you will be seen in our pursuit of peace with others, even in the midst of the greatest trials and tribulations and amongst the, uh, the hurt and the pain that we experience in this life. That holiness, that sanctification of life uh, will be evident in our lives. As I say, one of the ways that that grace of God and that work of the Spirit will be evident is that we will actually strive after peace with all men and holiness. Even allowing for our remaining corruption and our repeated shortcomings, sanctification will increasingly be seen in the child of God. That's what we should see in all our lives, brethren. Sanctification is an ongoing work of God, but it's a work of God that continues to develop and grow. Yes, there may be periods of backsliding, but the overall uh, trajectory of sanctification is always upwards. It's increasing. Uh, so that these things should be seen more and more day by day in our lives. The sobering corollary is that if such holiness does not characterise us, if, if sanctification can't be seen in our lives, then there is in fact no reason for us to hope that we will actually dwell eternally with the Lord. Sanctification needs to be seen in the life of the child of God. It's inevitable that sanctification will be seen in the life of the child of God because it arises out of the indwelling of the Spirit of God in our hearts. And every child of God has the Spirit of God dwelling in their heart. So, brethren, if we're always an angry ant, if always we're waging war with those around us, if we are those who refuse to strive after peace with all men, if we are not those who are seeking after holiness, we need to take spiritual stock of ourselves. If we prefer war to peace, we need to take stock of ourselves. You see, such characteristics are not consistent with one whose heart has been renewed by the Spirit of God. If that is our life, if that's what characterises us, then we might well ask ourselves, where is the evidence of God's grace in me? Is it a struggle? Is it a struggle to reflect these things? Absolutely. Uh, we, we have that remaining corruption in us. Uh, we, we are hurt at times, seriously hurt by what, others do to us at times. Even others in the church might do to us at times. It, it, it hurts us. It grieves us. And the inclination is to respond in, in kind. But brethren, if we have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, if he lives within us by his spirit, then we will follow peace with all men and we will follow holiness. And therein lies the evidence of the work of God's grace in us.
Amen.